Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Man, we serve a good God, isn't that right? If you love him, praise his name together in this house. Come on. That's something that happened last night that um, this kind of thing does not happen to me. I've been in ministry now for 34 years, and the toughest part for me is uh, the difficulty of hearing from the Lord. And that might embarrass you because I'm a pastor, but I, I have literally been in my backyard before uh, talking to the Lord like, Lord, why don't you speak louder you could save me so much time. Uh, in my family, we're, we're all loud, but I have one kid. Her name is Grace, and she's a whisperer. You can't hardly hear her talk. So we'll be being loud, and you'll hear. So it's like a mosquito got in the house. It was like, what is that? And then we'll look and see it's Grace trying to say something. So we used to say, Grace, is everything okay? Uh, yes, I'm just trying to say hello. And we'd say, all right, great. And we'd go back to being loud again. Um, but what I noticed is to, to hear a whisper, you have to be in close proximity to hear it. And I think one of the reasons why the, the voice of God is described as a still, small voice. In the Old Testament, it said his voice is not in the thunder or the earthquake or the wind or the fire. It was in the whisper. The reason why, I think, is because the Lord wants you close by. But for whatever reason, I still struggle hearing from the Lord but last night it was 3:08 in the morning, and uh, and I got up because I'm you know I'm older now. You can't sleep through the night without going to the bathroom. Anybody can relate. And so I went in there and I saw the clock. It said 3:08, and it was in that moment that I thought I, I sensed the Lord. I heard the Lord tell me um, that there was going to be somebody in the service today who at 3:08 you were struggling. You were struggling in your sleep. And uh, there's something that has you heavy in your heart, and you need prayer. And the Lord just wanted you to know that he hears your cry and that he is with you. And if that is you, I want to ask you to raise your hand. At 308 last night, uh, we prayed for who? Who is it? There it is right there. Stand up, man. You were the one, bro. You were the one. I don't know what it is that you're going through, but the Lord says he's the lifter of our head. And uh, when you think that no one hears that you're praying... Uh, and the Lord is like heaven. David said it this way. He said, Lord, it's like heaven is like brass. I'm trying to call to you and you're not hearing me. But the Lord is hearing you. He spoke to me about you um, in the middle of the night and that he's an encourager. Be not dismayed. Be not discouraged for the Lord is with you. Can I have an amen, everybody? Stretch your hand out. What's your name, brother? Travis? Y'all stretch your hand out towards Travis. Lord, I thank you for Travis. I don't know what it is he's going through. It could be a loved one that is hurting. It could be a decision he has to make. It might be a report that he had. I don't know. You didn't show me that part, but I do want to thank you um, that you were with him at 308 last night, and you're confirming it right now. And I thank you, Lord God, for bringing me to this campus uh, just to be able to give this part of the word to him. It was worth it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Turn to somebody and say, you are lucky to be sitting by me. Tell them that. Say that. Say that with confidence. James and Cody, um, some of the most faithful pastors. Uh, you might not know this, but a lot of pastors, for some reason, uh, they come and they, they, they try to learn from New Life Church. Uh, I do not understand some of that. One of the reasons why we pray for different churches every weekend is because I want you to be crystal clear that we are not the best church around. We never will be. I don't even want to be. Uh, if we ever became that, we would immediately not be that anymore. Uh, you can destroy the church by thinking we're the greatest. Maybe it's a good church for you, uh, but Jesus is the one who's great. Can I have an amen? But that's one of the reasons why we pray for other churches, for you to remember, uh, man, there's other churches around. But for whatever reason, churches do come in from around the globe to study what we're doing and, um, and always tell them about James and Cody. And in fact, most of them, we send them over here. It's not unusual for them to meet James and Cody or for them to see this campus. And I, I'm going to tell you why. 
Uh, I met James and Cody many years ago. They've been on staff close to 20 years. They're on a sabbatical right now. They're going to be back next weekend. Uh, thank the Lord for that. I made them go on the sabbatical because they don't rest much. And, uh, and a lot of times ministry, it, it can be really hard. I, did, I don't think they were even in a difficult season, but I thought, wow, they earned their stripes and, uh, and I'm sending them on a sabbatical and I know it's difficult, but I will tell you this. If you're going to be in ministry, uh, every time a pastor says, I want to plant a church or whatever it is that they're called to do, I always hope that they would have somebody like James and Cody around them. Before they were, they were a campus pastor here, they were an associate pastor with me. And wherever it is that the Lord needed them to work or wherever we had needs, they were there and they're faithful and they are good people. Do not take it for granted. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, next weekend, James is going to be back in this pulpit. So this is what I want to ask us to do. When he stands here, what I want you to do is to just give him like a standing O and go crazy, like a Cajun, all right? Just nuts. And, uh, but we're going to practice it right now. So I'm going to step away, but when I get to the pulpit, we're going to practice standing up and clapping because you guys are going to forget about it. And I'm hoping he's not watching online. Uh, James, if you are, turn it off because we don't want you to know about this far. And, uh, but here's what will happen. He'll be away from, he'll be here. He'll probably have a shirt on where you can see how big his arms are. And um, he'll probably look at Cody like, what's up, baby? You fine? And then, and then he'll have tight pants on, which is weird to me. And, uh, and, uh, but he'll stand up and he'll kind of walk like an athlete. He's not, but he'll walk like an athlete. And then when he gets here, okay, no, 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 back down. That, that's so bad. You guys are going to be late for the rapture. Like every other church, they'll go fast, but you guys will be delayed, okay? All right, this is James, big arms, tight jeans, flirting with Cody, uh, and then he'll walk up. All right, so then, that's good. We're going to do that next week. And if you forget, uh, hell is hot, okay? All right, on, on a serious note, uh, we are going to laugh a lot today. I want to ask you guys to turn off the countdown clock because I'm the founding pastor. I can speak as long as I want. I, I'm, I'm not a long-winded preacher, so for all the teenagers who can't wait for church to be out, you're going to be okay. Uh, but I do want to let you know this, okay, listen. When you die... Uh, there, there's going to be a time where you're in the presence of God. There is something called the judgment seat of Christ, which I'm not going to preach on. Uh, and there's also something called the mercy seat of Christ. But what's going to happen when you get to heaven, there's going to be two questions that everybody has to deal with. Uh, no matter how much you deconstruct the scripture, this is there. And uh, you're going to have to, you're going to be known or you're going to be asked, did you, did you know Jesus? And you can't answer the question right because they already know the answer to the question because there's a land's book of life and your name is either in it or it's not. There's no negotiation at that time. And then the second question is, what did you do with his name? Okay, so what's going to happen in, in a description uh, is the Lord's going to separate everybody. Uh, on, on one side, it's going to be the sheep. On the other side, it's going to be the goats. The sheep represent people who are really in love with the Lord, and the goats are going to be the people who really just faked it. And so he's going to speak to everybody. I want you to think about this a second. We're going to laugh a lot in a minute, but this is not funny, all right? He's going to look at the sheep, and he's going to say this. When it happens, you, you can go, wow, I remember Rick said something about this one time. Okay? <laughs> so he's going to look at the sheep, and he's going to say, um, when I was thirsty... You came over to me and you gave me something to drink. Thank you for that. There was one time I was so cold I was shivering, but you, you noticed it and you gave me something to wear to warm me up. And when I was lonely, like even in prison, you would come and you would visit me. And I want to thank you for doing that. Job well done. And one person, we don't know who it is, uh, but it's somebody. I delegated to Ricky. Ricky, you be the guy. Uh, but... That person's going to say, Lord, we're glad we did that for you, but we don't remember doing that for you. And then the Lord's going to respond, well, it was when you were doing it for those who were in trouble, like people who are in prison, 
uh, when people were really lonely, when people were thirsty or hungry. When you did that through the church and through your life, that's when you were doing it for me. Good job. But then he's going to look at the goats. He's going to say, when I was thirsty and you were around, like I just stayed thirsty. And when I was freezing cold and, and you were around, I just stayed cold. And when I was lonely, like you never came to see me. And then one person said, it's the goat, so it won't be Ricky on this one. Uh, but one person's going to say, Lord, we would have never done that to you. We love you. And he's going to say, well, it was when you didn't do it to those who were hurting. That's when you were not doing it to me. Depart. So today, what I want to talk to you about is the cost of following the Lord. The cost. Now, for me, and if you know anything about my story, it's not the greatest story. It's not even a cool story, but it is my story. I can't make up my story, so I'll tell you the way it is. I grew up in a church that was legalistic, and it was a mean-spirited church. I don't know if you've ever met a mean Christian, but they seem to be taking over the world right now. And, uh, but my Sunday school teacher is the meanest person I've ever met in my life. And uh, every Sunday at eight years old, she would say, hell is hot. You're going to hell. She would look at me and tell the whole class that we were going to hell. Her finger was 30 foot long. And I know, because that was the dimensions of the class. I was always up against the back wall, and she could touch me from the front of the class. Hell is hot, hot. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And one day she said, don't you want to go to heaven? And I said, not if you're going to be there. So our relationship was not that great. But here's the truth, okay? Here's the, here's the deeper part, is that I never knew the Lord loved me. Growing up, I never knew God wanted me around. I didn't have a pastor like James. I never knew that the Lord wanted me to. I didn't. How much do you think my prayer life was established? It was zero because I didn't think he wanted me to pray. When my parents went through a divorce, I thought it was my fault. It was like loaded with shame. I never went after God. I didn't know he wanted me to go after him. I thought he wanted me out. It was a horrible relationship. So I wasn't paying a price to serve him. I was just empty. And so I don't know where you are right now in your, in your life, but we're all sinners. Raise your hand if you know you're a sinner, okay? We've all, raise your hand if you ever lied before. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying now. And this is church. God's going to kill you. Hell is hot, hot. So I want to talk to you about the cost to follow Christ because, because I don't think we know the cost. I personally don't know if I'm paying the right price either. So here's the scripture. Matthew chapter 19. We're doing a series in Matthew. I'm kicking it off or I'm part of it now. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16 it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones he required? Jesus replied, you shall not murder. Could we hold it right there? Everybody look at me. There are 10 commandments. How many have ever heard of that? 10 commandments. Um, Jesus is going to mention six of them. It's actually going to be the last six. The first four are all about your relationship with the Lord. Like, have no other gods in front of me. Uh, have no idols. That's number two. Number three, respect my name. Number four, honor me with a Sabbath. Then number five, it starts getting. The first four are all vertical, you and God. The last six are all horizontal, you and other people. The Lord is saying, and James has taught you on this before, the Lord is saying that if you have it right vertically, you can get the relational side right. But here's the huge point. No one has kept all of these. And the reason why I mention this is because Jesus is getting ready to say, have you kept these commandments? And this brother is going to lie about it. Like he doesn't know how much it costs to follow after the Lord. You can't get there cheap. It's not just a good word or a comment. So this is what the Lord is saying. He goes, 
which ones should I obey? Jesus replied, you shall not murder. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Some of you haven't done either one of those. You shall not steal, even a church ink pen. You shall not give false testimony. That's lying. We just all admitted to lying at least once. You shall honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa. How many of you have ever loved yourself a little bit more than your neighbor? Okay, so we're guilty, right? And look what he says. This rich young ruler. All of these I have kept. In the original Greek, it literally means this. I've never stumbled on one of those, not even once. And Jesus like, come on, man. I'm, I'm creator God. I know the rest of the story. And so he says, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now hold it right there. Right now, the Lord is talking about money, but I don't want you to think of it that way. You might need to, but what I really want you to think about is what is it that the Lord would point out to you that you have hidden, that you don't really want to talk about with the Lord. This guy was willing to have a fraudulent conversation. He changed the narrative of his entire life. Have you seen any believers changing the narrative on what's really going on? And so Jesus just cuts right through that instead of his words. This brother clearly has the ability to say things, but Jesus cuts right through it. And he says, okay, I want you to take the one thing that's really important to you, and he mentions it, and I want you to give that up and then follow me. This is the cost. Look at this next verse. This is everything. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, now look here. What's going on is this brother's like, I'm all in. You're great. You're amazing. But when Jesus brings up the real cost, this man, he turns around and he walks away sad. He could have been like, if you, if you look up this scripture and all the details, we don't know his name. We don't know his hobbies. He don't know, we don't know where he got his his inheritance, if it, if it was an inheritance, if he built something big, on it, we don't know anything. We don't know anything about the guy, but if he would have said, yes, sir, I'll do that, whatever it is, he could have changed the world, but he didn't. And this is what a lot of us do when the Lord gets down to the brass tacks. Like, here's the next thing I need you to do. We turn away and we say, not yet. And there's sadness with that. The Bible says that his countenance was his head down, discouraged, okay? So, so I want to ask you, what is keeping you from, from paying the price? Like I've called this sermon the cost of following after the Lord, but let me just say it this way. There is a cost to follow after Christ, but there is a cost not to. There is a cost to get up every day and to do your devotions. There's a cost not to. There's a cost to be on your phone all the time, always on shorts on YouTube or always on reels or always in, always believe, always out there, never with the Lord. There's a cost to, to do that. There's a cost not to serve the Lord and a cost to serve the Lord. There's a cost to being faithful to a church. There's a cost, but there's a cost not to be faithful. So, so I don't know what it is that you're, you're spending, but... I will tell you, in your relationship with God, as a, as a person who's trying to get this right myself, there's no enduring relationships that are ever built in your life when you're not paying a cost, when you're not putting in the time, when you're not walking with them. Paul said you were running the race, you were walking well. He even said in one place you were keeping in step with the Holy Spirit himself, but something cut in on you and knocked you away, what happened? What happened? So you can see, and the, the one common trait that I keep seeing over and over before I get into the meat and potatoes of this is that when, when people fall, you see pastors sometimes falling, uh, believers, men of God, women of God, uh, young people who love the Lord, elderly people, 
A lot of people right now are rewriting scripture. Uh, They're kicking out Old Testament. They're kicking out uh, the epistles. They're they're kicking out hell. They're they're just rewriting it anywhere they want it to be. And the, the one common factor that I've seen with people who fall away is that when you're around them, they're not currently present with the Lord. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm ambitious. You're, you're looking at someone, I have big, audacious goals. I've always been that way. But I'm going to tell you right now, a relationship with the Lord is never in the goals. It's always right here in the cause. I'll explain it this way. Everybody here, you have one thing that tends to to move you forward, but if you're not careful, it'll hurt your relationship with the Lord. Like when you're in high school and you're not serving the Lord, well, what if I could just graduate from high school and then I'll be happy and then I'll, I'll serve the Lord. But then you get to college, oh, if I could just get out of college and, and then get a degree, then, 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 not now, then. I'm just so lonely. If I could get married, if I, if I was married then. I'm married now, but I hate being married. If I could just get a divorce then. I have awesome kids. If I, I just want kids. Then I'm going to be happy if I can have kids. Then you think, man, if my kids would just leave the house then. There's always something else. And I just want to tell you the prayer of Jabez. Millions of books were sold. And that prayer was like, it was never, Lord, bring me to another place so then you can be with me. No, it was never, it was always move here, not there. So I just want to ask you, maybe you're in some rubble right now. Maybe your life is like it's crashing down and it's aggravating. I get that, the tension of life, but the cost is never in another chapter. It's always where you are. Okay, my dad, my dad is one of the funniest people you ever meet in your life. He's still alive. He almost, he spent 13 months in the hospital. He almost died. And, but even before that, there was one time where our relationship, it was something was wrong with it. And I couldn't figure it out. So I just gave up. Like whatever. So one day I was going into Baton Rouge, which is where I'm from, because that's where crawfish live. I'm a Cajun. That's where we like to go. And uh, you can get better food at a shell station in Louisiana than you can in most places at a restaurant. And so, but my dad, I called him on the phone. I said, Dad, I'm coming in town. I'm going to see you uh, Friday night. I have a wedding rehearsal. Saturday, I have a wedding that I'm preaching four times at this church uh, in Baton Rouge. But, Dad, when it's done, if you don't want to come to church, when it's done, I'm going to come and see you. And, Dad, I'm going to hang out with you all Sunday and all Monday. We're going to play golf and hang out. He goes, Okay, that'll work. So I did all that on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and then Sunday afternoon on the way to the hotel, Michelle was with me, and I had it on speakerphone. I called him and said, Dad, I'm done now. It's time for you and I. He said, how long have you been in town? And I said, Dad, I've been in town since Friday, like I told you. He goes, look, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. Uh, I can't take it anymore, and he just hung up the phone. So now I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. And so I'm just driving, and Michelle says, well, you know what you need to do, huh? And I said, yeah, what do I need to do? (laughs) She goes, you need to go over there and talk to him, find out what's up. I said, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So I drove over there, and my dad answered the door. I knocked, and it took him a while, but he finally got there. And he looked at me, and he opened the door a little bit, and he walked back. I followed him, you know, just step for step. And then we sat down in the living room, and, uh, and he looked at me, and I said, Dad, what's going on here? He said, I'll tell you what's going on, son. You don't love me. And I said, Dad, I definitely do love you, but there's got to be, where are you coming up with this? He goes, I'll tell you why. When we're on the phone and we talk and it's a great conversation, but at the end of the phone call, you never tell me you love me. And I said, you know what, Dad? You're right. I don't think I do that. 
He goes, I hate that. I want to hear you love me. I said, Dad, I give you my word. For the rest of our lives, I will always say I love you at the end of the call. And I have. That was at least 10 years ago. And I have. So I thought we were done. And he goes, and then there's another thing. <laughs> He's like, okay, this is going to be a blast. He goes, son, how many times have your kids spent the night here when you lived in Baton Rouge? How many times? And then I knew I was in trouble. And I said, Dad, they never have. How many times, son, have they spent the night at your in-laws? Now, this is really getting bad. And I said, Dad, I'm going to guess over 100. See, you don't love me. I said, Dad, I do love you. I'm sorry. It looks this way. I just was busted. So I went back to the hotel, and Michelle said, how'd it go, how'd it go? And I told her what happened. I told her about the end, that he was up mad because we never, kids never spent the night. And she goes, well, you know what you need to do, don't you? And I go, yeah. What do I need to do? <laughs> she goes, you need to tell him why they haven't spent the night. I said, are you sure? She goes, yeah. So the next day, we went to play golf. I said, Dad, uh, I want to tell you why the kids haven't spent the night at your house. Uh, it's nothing to do with you or your wife, your precious wife. But you married a lady that I don't know that well, and I like her. I trust her, and I trust you. But y'all have two teenage boys in this house. And my kids are seven, five, three, and one. And Dad, I've been a youth pastor a long time. You don't just let your kids spend a night everywhere. I didn't know if he was going to snap or what. And my dad said, that's the reason? Yes, sir. He said, you should have told me that a long time ago. That makes sense. Let's go golfing. And we built our relationship back. Okay? Sometimes you got to get really close to find out what's important to someone you love. And the Lord tells us how to love him. Like, if you love somebody, you want to know what it is that they want. So with that in mind, I want to get into some solution to this. In Luke chapter 14... Here's our text about counting the cost. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Could y'all look here for a minute? That doesn't make sense to me. The Lord is telling us we got to hate our family. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, if you break down these words, what he is saying, you can see it in the Amplified Version as well. He's saying, I want you to love me so much that everything else pales in comparison to it. And then he continues. Yes, even hating your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everybody who sees you is going to ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to? And then at the very end in verse 33, if y'all could fast forward to that, it says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples, all right? So I'm kind of where I want to be to move forward. What I'm not going to be teaching you on today in the next few minutes is I'm not going to be teaching you how to gamble on your relationship with God. There's no gamble in this. This is just how you become mature in Christ. So, so I want you if, you, if you like taking notes, Here's several things that we can work on. First of all, number one, this cost is real, and it's, it's a cost. It's not a bargain. It's a cost. It's not a bargain. I always like to tell Cajun jokes, being a Cajun. I like to tell Cajun jokes, and we always joke around. We all make fun of ourselves as a people. We always say things like it takes us two hours to watch 60 Minutes. And the best three years of my life was the second grade. Not true, but that's what we like to say. And then we tell stories, Boudreaux and Tipito. Raise your hand, you ever heard a story of Boudreaux? And, so here's the, here's the typical. Boudreaux and Tipito trying to get this job, and the boss could only hire one of them. He said, I can only hire one of you, so here's what's going to happen. 
I'm going to put you in a room. You're going to take this test. So he put him in the room, gave him the test. He said, what's going to happen is I'm going to grab this test. I'm going to grade it. And the one who gets the best score gets the job. Y'all ready? And uh, Boudreaux and Thibodeau in that room, and they're, they're taking the test. A little while later, he comes back in, and they were done. He grabbed the test, and he went in another room. He said, don't forget, whoever gets the best grade gets the job. And he comes back in. He said, I graded the test. And Boudreaux and Thibodeau, you guys got the exact same score. Boudreaux, you get the job. And Thibodeau said, what up with that, man? We made the same. Why does he get it? He goes, well, I'm glad you asked. Because on question 13, he put, I don't know. And you put, me neither. <laughs> That's so stupid. If you don't get that, just don't tell anybody. That's really bad if you didn't get it. Listen, there's no way to bargain for a better relationship with the Lord. In Matthew 24, since we're in Matthew, this, is, this chapter, go home and read it. A double dog dare you to read it. Young people, young men especially, go home and read this. It's better than anything else you could find. Jesus talking about the end times, and he says this. He goes, he goes listen, it, the disciples are going, when is this going to happen? Like, how many of you want to know? Is, when, is, when, is, when is the end times? It's, are these the end times? And Jesus did not tell them when. What he said to them was to watch. Not when, but to watch. Not when, but to pay attention to the signs and the look around. When you're not paying attention, anything can happen. I was reading the other day that 16,000 people a year die because they're looking on their cell phones while they're walking and they're running into traffic or they'll fall off the side of a cliff or they're taking a selfie and looking at their phone and they don't, they don't notice that, the, the, that there's an edge there. And this is what the Lord is saying, like, I really want you to pay attention. And then he says to them, because if you don't, the love of most will grow cold in those days. And I've never seen a day where more people are losing their relationship with the Lord than right now. Good, godly people rewriting scripture, deceived. The problem with being deceived is that you're deceived. Like a deceived person doesn't say, wow. I never saw it that way before. A deceived person, the Bible describes it as like scales on their eyes where they cannot see. Calluses in their ears where they cannot hear. And, and I just want to tell you that uh, in this space, like when you're not paying attention, it's easy to get into deception and even deceptive uh, words and conversation. So I wanted you to know this is not a bargain. You can't negotiate this. this. This is real. This is a real relationship with the Lord. When my pastor hired me, this is what he said to me. He goes, Rick, I don't know if I want to hire you. And I said, why not? He goes, man, your dad fell into adultery and, uh, and, and, and a lot of people in your family are just crazy, wild. And I, I don't know if you can do it. Pastor Larry hired me to be a youth pastor, and it was a year before he even told anybody I was a youth pastor. You know how discouraging that is? And here's Rick, or uh, he's a friend of mine, <laughs> whatever. And uh, I just, I never, but then what it did is it made me, like, I, so I met with him one day. I said, Pastor Larry, how am I doing? And I was just digging in. What he really wanted me to know, because we've had many conversations about this, is that he, he just wanted me to, to be faithful to my call, to my Lord. And through the years, I've never cheated on Michelle, but I'm going to tell you why. It's not because every day I get up and I go, man, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery, don't look at porn, don't do this, don't, don't commit adultery. The reason why I've stayed faithful to Michelle is because I decided I'm going to love her so much that I'm not going to want anyone else. You can't just bargain this thing. And I just want to ask you, like, do you love the Lord so much that you don't want anything else? Number two, the cost is daily. It's not one moment in time. It's not one moment in time. When I gave my heart to the Lord, it was 1981. I'm 60 years old, so you could do the math and figure out. I was right in the middle of college uh, when I gave my heart to God. Before I gave my heart to the Lord, I started smoking pot, and I liked it a lot. So when I gave my heart to the Lord on Super Bowl Sunday in 1981, 
I remember my uncle starting to meet with me, and one day he said this to me. He said, Rick, everybody's weak somewhere. Where's your, where are you going to fall? And I said, well, uh, I think it'll be with pot. I miss it. And he goes, listen, you've beat, you've beat, by the way, if you don't know what pot is, that's marijuana, okay? And uh, so he said, he said, you've beat half the battle just by telling me, now you have to win it every day on your, on your knees before God. He said, a man or a woman will never fall when they're on their face before God. I said, what does on your face mean? He said, it's where you're honest with your holy God. So every morning I'd get up and I'd find the ground and I said, Lord, I just really don't want to fall. Lord, if I could smoke pot today, I just know I would do it, Lord, Lord. Help me if that ever happens. So uh, back in those days, I was a professional golfer. Back in the day, uh, you can probably look at me and tell I'm an incredible athlete. Okay, maybe not. But I was going to play in a golf tournament in Atlanta. And while I was pumping gas in the car, I was all alone. And I dropped my keys on the ground and they landed right on top of a joint, a big hall joint. And uh, first thing I did is I picked it up and I said, praise God. That was my first thought. And then I realized, oh, hey, what am I doing here? So I got in the car, I punched, I, I, I rolled down the window a few inches, punched in the cigarette lighter, put the joint in my mouth, and I started waiting for the cigarette lighter. And it hit me. This is what I've been talking to the Lord about. This is what my uncle told me to do. Like all those moments I've told the Lord, this is where I'm vulnerable, God. The Lord told me he would be with me. I sense him here now. I took that joint and I threw it out the window and it felt victorious. One time I told that story and a lady said, you're not supposed to throw stuff out the window. And I said, well, it's more illegal to smoke pot in the car. What is it like if you could just meet with your God and give him the one thing? Where you're most vulnerable. This is why I like John Wesley, the way he would mentor, and this is the way I treat men to this day. Uh, he would pull them around and say, how are you doing with your money? What have you looked at that's inappropriate? Uh, have you built any relationships that would grieve God? What's the weakness in your life? And the last question was, did you just lie to me? Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot build a relationship with your God all alone. The Bible says you confess your sins to God and he'll forgive you. But you confess your sins one to another and you'll be healed. We have a lot of forgiven people who are very sick because no one knows what they're battling through. You can't negotiate this or it's not a bargain. And you can't win it in one moment. It is day by day. By the way, what is the greatest thing that Jesus ever did? What's the greatest moment that Jesus ever had? I'll tell you what it is. It's that every moment he served his father. It wasn't the cross, although I thank God for it. It wasn't the resurrection. It was, he had to have all of it. It was every moment. He had to, and he said at the end, he said, I came and I accomplished everything the father asked me to do. Next point. And by the way, I just want to say something before I get to that. This is kind of condemning. So I almost didn't say it. But I'm going to say it. Okay. People come to us as pastors and they tell us, man, I'm hurting. And it might be their marriage. And it hurts to hear somebody's marriage breaking. But it doesn't necessarily keep us up at night. We just pray about it. We care about it. Young people who cut themselves or who are suicidal or feel like they don't have any friends that may not keep me up all night, but man, that, that's why I was a youth pastor for so long. Michelle and I still miss being a youth pastor. Maybe it's you've lost your purpose or maybe you lost your job or you have bad health. We want to pray about that. We'll walk through it, but it doesn't necessarily keep us up at night. But I'll tell you the one thing that keeps us up at night. And that is wondering how many people that attend New Life Church are going to go to hell. That keeps me up at night. Because when Jesus said that 51% of the people are the love of most, it could be 80%. It's going to grow cold. It's like, what? Lord, how's the stats going to be for our church one day? 
And I just want to let you know. My dad, I told you earlier, he was funny. funny when he was dying in the hospital, and he didn't die. When he was dying, I said, Dad, do you want to know when you're going to die? I led him to Christ. Thank God for that. But, Dad, do you want to know when you're going to die? He goes, no, I want to know where I'm going to die. I said, really? No one's ever told me that. Why do you want to know where you're going to die and not when? He said, because I'm never going to go there. <laughs> it makes sense to me, Dad. He's so funny. Uh, I'll go to his house now. We're so close now. I go to his house, and he'll say, uh, son, let's go play golf. And his wife, who's got a great attitude, she goes, Richard, you love, you love golf more than you love me. And he goes, yeah, but I, I love you more than I love basketball. <laughs> so anyway, number three, that's my dad. Uh, it would be fun to be married to him, right? Number three, the cost cannot be negotiated. The cost cannot be negotiated. In Luke 14, I read it earlier. Suppose once one of you wants to build a, a tower. Once you first sit down and estimate the cost of real cost to see if you have enough. Uh, years ago in Baton Rouge, uh, I was behind this lady who was trying to turn left, but she was waiting way too long. Have you ever seen that? It's like she was waiting for peace in the Middle East, and it's not going to happen. And so I got tired of it, so I went around her on the shoulder, and as soon as I did, this cop across the way saw me. He turned on the lights. There's nothing worse than seeing that, right? So he's like, woo, and I know I'm busted, so I just turn it off and sitting there. and So I'm watching him move about. Now, I wasn't a Christian at this time, so don't judge me, but this is cool, all right? So he's moving around, meandering and coming, and while he's getting closer, I thought, I got an idea. I'm going to act like I'm on the shoulder here because something's wrong with my car. So he comes, so I pop the hood, and I'm looking at the car. There's nothing wrong with it, but I'm acting like, what, what's going on? And I hear him walk up, and he said, young man, what are you doing? I said, sir, thank you for stopping. I, uh, some noise, it stopped now, but appreciate you coming over here to help me out like this. And he goes, what? And I said, sir, the noise, it stopped now. I appreciate you stopping. What a great cop you are. And, uh, and he goes, son, and he's chewing tobacco, so he's walking back, and he goes, son, and he spit. I've been on this force for about 10, 12 years. I know a lie when I hear one. And I know you're lying right now. <laughs> and so I was just like looking at him, trying not to blink. And he said, before I get in the car, let me ask you one question. He said, you are lying, aren't you, just between me and you? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, you shouldn't have told me that. And he wrote me a ticket. <laughs> I hate that cop. <laughs> he was smart. Listen, God doesn't negotiate things like this. this. This is not how he comes up with a plan for you. He's not trying to trick you. So I just want to ask for you just to be honest in your relationship with the Lord. I'll tell you, that's the way I do. I'm a pastor, so I get really busy pastoring people. But the Lord showed me several times, you're so busy, Rick, working for me that you don't have time for me. The results are the last few years, five to ten times, I wanted to quit. I just got so tired. So many things happening. One time I even told Michelle, I looked, I said, Michelle, I can't take this anymore. I'm out of here. And she looked at me with the fire in her eyes. Like, we ain't quitting. We're in this thing. I got my strength back just because I started telling the Lord. Like, But what I think was going on is I was really negotiating I just wanted the Lord to feel sorry for me. What? Soon I'll be in Ukraine. Uh, worked out, I didn't say this in the first service, but have a chance to fly into Warsaw and then they're going to take me into Kiev. And, and uh, it's, you know, we're, tr we're going about it safe. safe and, uh, but the reason why I'm going there is these pastors, they're having church in the middle of a war every day. And their, their wives and their kids had to leave the country. And they're just doing it. And, and, and interesting enough, Ukraine is very, uh, gosh, they're, they're atheistic and generally speaking. And now people who hated God or didn't believe in the Lord months ago are now running to altars and asking the Lord to save them. And I just want to let you know, like, 
this thing is real. I've been to Normandy where they, they, they prepared, more people got killed preparing for Normandy than D-Day. And more of them got killed from friendly fire than enemy fire. They just said, where it is? What is it you want, Lord? Or what is it you want? Is it commanders, they just were willing to go. And I think at some point, our faith has to be, we stand in front of the Lord and say, Lord, whatever it is. The word yield, if you look it up, it's like a military term where you stand in the presence of God. You say, Lord, whatever you want. Yes, sir, I'm there, Lord. Whatever it is that you want, this is where I am. And right now, I don't really see that. And a lot of believers. And then the last point, and then we're out. The cost must be authentically accepted. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. It doesn't say maybe not. They just cannot. So could y'all look here? I just want to close this out. I was reading about a story that happened. How many have ever heard of the Louvre in France? And uh, there's a painting there. I've never seen it, but there's a painting there called Checkmate. You can go and look it up. And it's very interesting to me, this whole story. because If you looked at the picture, and I've seen it online, if you looked at the picture, it's basically two people playing chess. And if you know anything about chess, checkmate means that it's over. And at that time, the person who's in checkmate, they study it to make sure it's true, and they just knock over the king. Like, I'm done. Okay? So at the Louvre, there's a painting of two men, and one of them is on one side, and he's looking at the chessboard like, I just put you in checkmate, bro. And the other guy is over here thinking it's finished. He's looking at it, and he's got his... He sees that it's over. He, he hasn't thrown over the king yet, but he knows that it's over. And you can see the board. You can see all the pieces, the way the painting of the angle of it, and it's entitled Checkmate. Well, sometime, maybe last year at some point, I read this months ago, and uh, there was this tour group, and they were going around seeing all the pictures and painting and art and statues. And, and, uh, and when they got to that painting, one of the people in the group was just mesmerized by it. And so they all scurried on and did the whole tour. And then at the end, they looked around and that, that same guy was not with him. It took him hours to find him. And he was still there just staring at checkmate, looking at the guy who just won, looking at the guy who just lost. And he goes, hey, everybody, you may not know this, but I'm a grand champion chess master. I'm number one in the entire world. And I'm not trying to brag, but I want to tell you guys something. I'm looking at this painting, Checkmate. And if you look at the pieces and you study it, like I have, I just want to let you guys know that the king still has a move. Like it says Checkmate, and they both believe it's Checkmate. But it's not checkmate. The king still has a move. And I just want to tell you, I don't, I don't know where your faith is. You might have, you might be in adultery. You might be addicted. You might be a hater of God. And you may think it's finished, man. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. All I know is the king still has a move. But he will not move. If you don't move first, he is sovereign, but he's given us the ability to reject him. Scripture says in Hebrews, you can go and read it later, chapter 10. It says the way that you grow in your relationship with the Lord, it says you draw near to him with a sincere and accurate heart. Like it's not really any trickery in it. It's just like, okay, God, here I am. That's when he moves. That's you draw closer to him, he draws closer to you. You draw closer to him and you see the king moves. It's not over, man. And so I'm proud of this church. But they didn't start this church to have a good run without you. 
king still has a move for you. And I'm just asking you, let's run together, man, because this is a great time to be saved. If you agree with that, give the Lord some praise. Come on in this house if you agree with that. Thanks for letting me speak to you. And uh